Okay, uh, take your seats. Let, let's, let's start the teaching. We'll come back and, and, uh, and we'll worship and respond and pray for one another, all that kind of stuff. We've been in this dynasty series, as I've said, in, um, in thank you guys, in 1 and 2 Samuel, um, looking at the life of, uh, of David um, and how we build kingdom families. Uh, last week I was in uh, 1 Samuel 18, 19, and just looking at how hard it can be for a, a, um, particularly a younger leader coming through uh, when you've got blockers and handbrakes in leadership in, in the way, particularly those like Saul that struggle with rejection. In fact, more than struggle, he gave himself fully to it. Um, and so we looked at some of the toxic uh, relationships around Saul and, and how we can live and grow and, and be something different in a kingdom family here in, in Christ. But hidden away in the margins between these incredible narratives of Saul throwing his spears at, at David, um, hidden away are, are just some rich verses on real friendship. And uh, just as I was working through these verses in my own time, I thought, I, I don't want to miss this stuff. Kingdom family can be very uh, kind of go, go, go. Let's build a family that takes the gospel to the ends of the earth. And, and we're very urgent on that. It's very important. That's who we are. But there's got to be genuine, authentic friendship along the way for those of us who are brothers and sisters in Christ, spiritual mothers and fathers, sons and daughters. Uh, are there some nods and amens here? Are you, are you falling asleep in this, in this warm hall this morning? Uh, and so let's not miss this. I'm going to read a chunk of scripture again, if you can turn with me. Uh, just a little bit at the start of chapter 18, um, where we spent a lot of time last week. Just the first few verses. After David had finished talking with Saul, this is directly after he's cut off Goliath's head and all that kind of stuff. Amazing. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. Jonathan is Saul's son. He's the, the prince, the heir apparent, if you like. Uh, and he loved David as himself. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing, gave it to David, along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. And then uh, the next section goes on to what I covered last week. If you missed that, hey, catch up, YouTube, SoundCloud, all those kinds of places. But I just want to stay in this friendship with David and Jonathan. Jump to, verse, uh, to chapter 20 with me. Um, it's not gone well. Um, you may have noticed um, David has been dodging Saul's spears. He's escaped a, a hit squad that Saul sends to kill David in his own home. His wife, Saul's daughter, has helped David to escape, and David has fled. Chapter 20, then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, what have I done? What's my crime? How have I wronged your father? That He's trying to take my life. Never, Jonathan replied. You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without confiding in me. Why should he hide this from me? It is not so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he'll be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lived, lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. That's, that's friendship, isn't it? Wow. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. So David said, look, tomorrow is the new moon festival, and I'm supposed to dine with the king, but let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. And if your father misses me at all, tell him, David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole family. 
if your father says very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he's determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I'm guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, then wouldn't I tell you? And David asked, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? I won't read the whole section, but they're hatching this plan. And uh, Jonathan says, look, you hide in the field. I'll go do as you say. Uh, Be at the meal with my father. I'll share with him that you're away with your family. And then I'll come out the next day with one of my servants, and I'll fire some arrows. And if you hear me say while you're hiding to my servant, hey, the arrows are a bit to the left, then you'll know you're safe and my father's not angry with you. You can come and, and be back home with us. But if you hear me say, well, the arrows have gone beyond, then that's a sign for you. That's the code word, code red. You run for your life. Go beyond. Don't come back. My father is wanting to kill you. That's the, the plan that they hatch up together. Let me just pick up in verse 24. So David hid in the field. And when the new moon, moon festival came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall opposite Jonathan and Abner sat next to Saul by But David's place was empty. Saul said nothing that day. He thought, well, something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. Surely he's unclean. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. Then Saul said to his son, Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered, oh, David's earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. I I don't think lying is a good thing, but you can understand in a toxic family why people kind of just release enough information but no more. Let me go, he says, because our family's observing a sacrifice in the town and my brothers ordered me to be there. If I found favor in your eyes, let me go see my brothers. That's why he's not come to the king's table. Verse 30, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you've sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, he can't even say David's name, he's so spitting with anger. As long as he lives, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What's he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger on that second day of the month. He did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had the small boy with him, and he said to the boy, run and find the arrows I shoot. I I think if they'd done a risk assessment, this is not a good thing. Fire arrows. You run, I'll fire arrows. (laughs) No, I think I'm going to lie down behind you. Um, As the boy ran, he shot the arrow beyond him. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, isn't the arrow beyond you? Then he shouted, hurry, go quickly, don't stop. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing of all this. Only Jonathan and David knew. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, go carry them back to town. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other, wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is a witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. And then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. Father, these passages are amazing. They're incredible narratives, but will you lead us to your heart today? 
We uh, want to encounter you. We want to shape us, grow us as a family. Speak deep into our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, so this incredible narrative. I'm just going to walk through those two chapters for a few moments. Um, and then uh, it would be good to look at what our friendship with Jesus looks like. And perhaps on the basis of that, just for us to consider our own friendships in a kingdom family. Um, and invite God to shape us together in, in that way. So uh, in chapter 18, um, we find this extraordinary narrative. L- look at verse 1, w- right where we began. If you can remember, these are long passages that we're, we're reading out. Um, w- David become, Jonathan and Saul become one in spirit together. It says Jonathan committed himself to David. He says Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. I love the way Jesus speaks to his disciples and to us. Mark chapter 12, when he reminds them of the, of the law, the old law. He says, Mark 12, 31, love your neighbor as yourself. The apostle Paul puts it even more clearly for disciples like you and me. Philippians 2, 3, he speaks about the attitude of, of Jesus and our love for one another. It's got to be a self-giving, preferential, honoring of other kind of love. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others, honor others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I think that passage, that verse personifies what's going on with Jonathan and David here. And this, this word where they committed to one another in verse 1, uh, or the, the Hebrew word that's, that's used there actually means to knit together. Anyone here knit? Um, any nanas here that knit? No? One or two. I, th- I think uh, Lydia Baker does crochet very well, I think. Is that a form of knitting? Excuse my ignorance. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Um, okay, we'll move on. Um, this, this word where they, it says they committed to one another means they, they literally, they knit or tied. They're bonded together. This, this, time, next sun, this time next Sunday, I'll, I'm going with a friend uh, and I'll be halfway through Rome Marathon. I'll be about 25, 30 kilometers, maybe, maybe 20 miles into Rome Marathon. Do you know at the start of the marathon, I probably, um, before, more than anything else, other than, than speed eating bananas on the start line, I probably tie and untie my laces three or four times. I just need to know that they are tied well. Not too tight. You don't want your circulation cut off, but not too loose. You don't want your shoes slopping around on your feet over 42 kilometers. But the worst thing for any kind of runner, slow, fast, or medium, is that your laces would come undone during a race, and you have to stop the race to bend down and tie your shoes. So I don't just do them in a bow. I don't just do them in a double bow. I do them in a triple bow, triple lock. Uh, I do not want those babies coming undone while I'm running. There's nothing worse than being 30 kilometers into a race and having to stop. It's very hard to start again when you're my age. Never mind bending down (laughs) and (laughs) cramping up. That's what this word means. It means to tie so tightly together. Uh, And it's speaking. Uh, It's not not a physical bondage. It's speaking of a heart, an emotion. Um, It speaks about the kind of inner man or the inner woman. It speaks of our affections, our very heart or soul. Whatever it is that is the inner part of us is knitted together. 
Uh, and, and look at this uh, language as well. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. The word there speaks about the faithful love. I think the Hebrew word is hesed. Um, those of us that were with us through our lockdowns in that COVID era, I remember in some of our online huddles that we did. We did a study with the Bible Project, those great videos on, online for learning and discipleship. And there was a study I remember us doing in our huddles um, on the hesed, faithful, committed love love of God. That, that's what this love is here that's being expressed between Jonathan and David. It's an enduring love. It, it mirrors in our relationships imperfectly something that is perfectly poured out over us by our Heavenly Father, God's commitment of love to his people. We carry on in verse 4, this, this incredible moment where Jonathan takes off his tunic, his, his robe, his sword, his belt, his, his, um, his bow, um, Jonathan, Jonathan's the, the prince, if you like. He's, he's the heir. Everyone would expect that Jonathan, when, when Saul dies in battle or goes to sleep with his fathers, the language they use in the scriptures, that Jonathan will become the king to, to use. Um, uh, but, but here he is, and he's effectively saying to David, no, I, I'm giving you my inheritance. I'm, I'm giving you my authority. I'm handing over to you my kingship. Jonathan, to, to use um, a picture of our current royal family, Jonathan makes himself the spare. It's amazing, isn't it? He goes from the heir to the spare as he takes off his kingly garments and he gives them to David. He clothed, David is clothed in Jonathan. Isaiah 61 prophesies, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me in garments of salvation. He's arrayed me in his robe of righteousness. Galatians 3.27, Paul speaks of us now, we who've been crucified in Christ, raised to life in Jesus. He says, you have clothed yourself in Christ. So Jonathan wants David to be king. Uh, and like John the Baptist, we looked at, I think we mentioned John in passing last week. Jonathan's kind of using John the Baptist language. He's saying, I know David's call and anointing, and I know my call and anointing, and so I must decrease, and he must increase. It's such a self-giving, Christ-like love. It's as though Jonathan knows the gospel, which he can't know. And, and of course, Saul knows what Jonathan is doing too, and we've seen in this story that he, he hates it. I, th I think it's remarkable how these stories point us and lead us to the gospel. That's how, if you're a new believer, and some of you here or with us online as well, we'll, we'll be new believers thinking, how do I read this, this great big fat book full of these stories? These are great stories, but what do they mean for my life? Hey, whenever we read these narratives in the Old Testament, we're not just looking for some nice life lessons, although there are some amazing life lessons here, but we're saying, how does this stuff point us to Jesus Christ? How does it show us the gospel? And it's wonderful how um, hidden in these narratives, and not very well hidden because God wants us to know the gospel, is, is a signpost to Jesus. Jonathan comes in between David and his angry father. David is the outcast. His father is angry with David. In these stories, Jonathan is very Christ-like. He comes in between. He intercedes and pleads with his father. Uh, he receives a promise from, uh, from Saul. Uh, no, I, okay, I, I won't kill or judge um, uh, David. We looked at that last week. I won't throw my wrath against him. That's the promise that Jonathan receives in chapter 19. The problem here with these analogies is that Saul is not like our perfect heavenly father. Um, our perfect heavenly father welcomes us to him in the sun. He never flares up in wrath and anger. He welcomes us in the son who he loves 
deeply. Turn with me to chapter 20. You're still with me this morning? Okay, that's good news. That's just, this is friendship under pressure, real pressure. It's easy to be friends in easy times. But this stuff, it, it crosses over. These are life-threatening moments. Family ties, loyalties are pressed. Their bond of friendship is pressed. I think there's a, there's a lovely naivety in Jonathan. He, he really doesn't believe for a moment. My dad's not going to cross these boundaries, David. But there's a real fear in both men as well. For, for David, can I trust Jonathan? Is, is, he, is he in the end going to side with his father? Is he in the end, even though he tells me he loves me, is he going to turn on me as well and betray me? There's a, there's a beautiful trust, fragile trust here in their love and care for one another. Again, in verse 14 of chapter 20, we find this covenant love, this hesed love um, there when, when uh, Jonathan says, will you treat me? Um, show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord. This is what we're talking about, this faithful, committed love. That's all we have in moments of pressure, this unbreakable, faithful love. It's, it's fastened to, it's tied to the love of God. It's very similar language, actually, to when you, in the, in the marriage bond. Um, but it's true in friendship as well, true friendship. And actually, the Bible teaches us, you go all the way through to Ephesians and Paul's letters, and friendship in marriage is a beautiful thing. But even that bond only imperfectly points us to the greater reality of the unbreakable, faithful love and the unchangeable commitment of love that God has to his people. It's wonderful. It goes right back to the old law of Moses, Deuteronomy 7, 9, where, where God reveals something of his character and his heart to his people. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God. He keeps his covenant of love to a thousand generations. That means he keeps it. <laughs> Those who love him and keep his commandments. That's a promise for us today. We're not counting off, oh, are we the 998th or 990? Maybe we're the 1,001st generation. No, that's not the point. It's a bit like the forgiveness thing, 70 times 7. The point is not to add up the maths and see whether we've gone beyond it. The point is to say God's love will never fail us. It will never break down. Um, your love never fails. It never runs out on me. We love that worship song. Look at verse 17. It's just like verse, eight, uh, verse 1 of chapter 18. It says again, Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. Later, Jesus tells his disciples, as the fathers loved me, so I've loved you. I, that is a beautiful verse. When, when we love Jesus, we're able to love one another in a Christ-like way. We, we, we kind of tap into this deep, rich covenant love. I find it in Jesus and then in drawing it from Christ and his faithful love from me to the thousandth, thousandth generation, I'm, I'm able to let it flow out into my friendships. Yeah, it means I can, I can forgive Alice when she's moved my cars around. I, I, can, I can let this, love, this faithful love flow out in my marriage with, with my kids, even though they're grown up now. In, in our church family relationships, this is the covenant love in action. And, and we see it most clearly. Uh, Paul says in Romans, we sit most clearly in, in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Paul says to the Roman church, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We've not earned it. We've not deserved it. Um, he says later in, in, in uh, chapter 8 of Romans, who will separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists off trouble, hardship. David could have written this. It could be one of his Psalms. So trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. We've got brothers and sisters here with us today who've been imprisoned for their faith in Christ in other countries. Their testimony, and we've heard it, has been, even in those moments, nothing has separated me from the faithful, committed 
unmerited, unbreakable love of Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on in Romans 8. It's not just here on the earth, but neither angels or demons or the present or the future or any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Wow. In, when, we, when we marry people, when you get a, a couple at the front of the aisle and we do these, this giving and receiving of promises, we get them to say, until we are parted by death. That, that's the promise Jonathan and David make here in verse 15. Even if one of us dies, this covenant love will continue to the next generation. Beloved, it points us to Jesus who says even death can't separate us from this love that is ours in Christ Jesus. Wow, hallelujah. Verse 33, Saul is angry. Now Jonathan's, if Jonathan was naively hopeful, now his eyes are open. The scales come off. Saul's been lobbing spears at David. Now he hurls one at his own son. Wow. I had dads here who've had flares up of, flare-ups of anger with their own children. Maybe we just need to come in repentance today. Wow. Thank God we've got a friend in Jesus who comes between us and the wrath of God for sin. Thank God we have one who intercedes. Thank God we have a heavenly father who is nothing like Saul, who doesn't have fits of rage, who doesn't throw spears, but says, I, I love you through my son, uh, and I receive you with this commitment, lo co covenant love. Jonathan is crushed, verse 34. This is a really painful verse. He's grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. Some translations say he's, he's crushed, he's broken. That's so hard, isn't it, in, uh, in family relationships. We were speaking last week on the impact of Saul on his own kids. Ephesians 4.26, fathers, in your anger, don't sin. There's a safe, affirming, faithful love in the family of the kingdom, in this kingdom family. It's a safe place to love and be loved. We, we want to grow in God's faithful covenant love and nurture something amongst us and in our own homes, in my home, I trust in your home and in this home as a big family where there's no fear of getting on the wrong side, no fear of getting on the wrong side of God. That's a distortion of the gospel. He's not that kind of God. Certainly no fear of getting on the wrong side of leaders. Um, no fear for wives. I've got on the wrong side of my husband. How will he be with me today? No fear for our children of being on the wrong side of their father's anger, not in this kingdom family. Ephesians 6, children, honor your parents. Oh, yeah, but fathers, don't exasperate your children. It's, it's true in natural families. These are, these are prophetic verses for us too as a kingdom family. Spiritual mothers, fathers, sons, and daughters. This is what this love in action looks like as an overflow from the, the committed love of God. Faithful love changes everything. Jo Jonathan, in these verses, he is in a, I guess in today's language, we'd say he's in an emotionally and physically abusive relationship with his father. Even as an adult here, um, he is utterly crushed. There's, there's good news for those today who have been crushed in their spirit, um, whether you've been crushed in family life, whether me even reading these verses presses buttons in your life, brings you back to moments of rejection and pain. Or maybe you've been hurt in church life and crushed by heavy leadership. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Isn't that good news? David himself writes after he crushed himself with his own sin with Bathsheba. Psalm 51, let the bones that have crushed in me rejoice. There's a turning when we come back to the faithful love of God. And in this family of faithful love, we've been brought near 
The New Testament language tells us we've been adopted. We have a Father who loves us, who always builds us up and affirms us, even when he's confronting and disciplining us in his love. We've got the spirit of sonship, the spirit of adoption. It's been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We, we, don't, we no longer have a spirit of fear. We have no fear of the spear. We have a, a spirit that is of power, of love, and of a sound mind or, or self-control. And, and so in these verses, are we just in, in these little narratives here between the margins of all the action in 1 Samuel, but we find the gospel in this deep friendship of Jonathan and David. I love the gospel. We're on holy ground here. Jonathan points us to Jesus. We see David as the undeserving, um, the brother of no standing. He's got no natural right to be brought into the royal family, and yet through Jonathan's actions, through Jonathan's commitment of love to him, this, this outsider, this uh, youngest of the brothers, this shepherd boy who even his own father had forgotten about, is adopted, as it were, into an inheritance in the royal family. It's so gospel. Jesus brings us as his friends into his father's house. The New Testament tells us Jesus clothes us in him, clothed in Christ. He makes everything right. He takes the punishment we deserve for our sin on the cross. Jesus has a perfect heavenly father who is not like Saul. Our father doesn't look at us now in Christ and think, I'm just going to find a fault somewhere that means I can throw you out. You don't really belong here. No, he loves us because he loves his son. He welcomes us into an inheritance that once belonged to his one and only son, but now is ours in Christ. All I have is yours, we can say when we worship Jesus. All the riches of Christ have become mine. The sinful father Saul has rejected even his own son, Jonathan, in these verses today, thrown his spear at his own son in anger. But our perfect heavenly father, it says, and, and Jesus cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a moment where Jesus on the cross uh, has the father's face turned away from him in order that he might bring many sons and many daughters into the glory and the committed love of his father. Wow. We who are in Christ, we don't fear spears or anger. There's no accusation that can say to you, you don't belong. In fact, there'll be many accusations that say you don't belong, but, but you have no need to listen to them. They are not true. They, they have no basis whatsoever in the good news of Jesus. The Father simply looks at his perfect son, Jesus, whom he loves completely, and he sees me, and me, clothed in his righteousness. And so instead of spears, I get well, he says, come near, come, come close. I, I get to call him my father. Father, Paul says, Abba, Father, Father, dear Father, Jesus teaches disciples like you and me to pray. And he says, no, you can come and say, our Father. What, I can come in? He's not going to throw, no, our Father. He pours the spirit of adoption into my heart so I know I truly belong. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm fully accepted in the Son. There's nothing, even death can't separate me from this love of God that is mine in Christ Jesus. Wow, the gospel's amazing. It's just amazing. Uh, anyone else want to put their hands together and thank God with praise? Come on, let's just give God some applause this morning. Wow, we love you, Jesus. We love the gospel. This is such good news. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I know some, probably the majority of us here are British and we kind of don't do that sort of stuff so well. But isn't there something rising in your heart as you realize we're in? We, our lives are hidden in this, this story. I don't know if there's some here this morning. We'll pray in a moment. I know on our Alpha course, people have been taking their first steps in coming into the family of God. If there are some here or with us online this morning that need to know, I, I can be accepted in the Father through the Son, Jesus. We'd love to pray with you 
and welcome you into your Father's house completely uh, today. So, I'm made for friendship with God and with others. I've maybe uh, just preached that first part too, too long. Um, let's look at Jesus and his friends. I was going to say a few things. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll put a blog post up or a little video this week. I think there's some things that Western culture le- reads into this passage. Some distortions on Jonathan and David's relationship um, on same-sex love that just aren't there. And actually, when you realize what this, what this narrative is about, it's about so much more. In fact, you don't even need to really answer um, those kinds of questions when you realize it's about a much bigger thing uh, than that. But maybe I'll just do a short um, video or blog post on that because I think it's, it helps us to understand uh, our culture today. It's a beautiful passage on friendship and this amazing prophetic picture that points us to the gospel uh, and our standing in, in Jesus. Just look at Jesus for a moment before we wrap up with some application and worship and pray together. Uh, Jesus extends an invitation to his friends, to people like us. He says, abide with me. I love the way he is with the guys on the road to Emmaus. He goes in and eats with them. This is, this is Jesus. This is the Jesus of friendship. I love the way John describes himself in John's gospel Um, And either John's really big-headed or he just knew the love of Jesus because he calls himself, I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. Wow. It's not to say Jesus didn't love his other disciples or he had his favorites. I've got three kids. They're they're all my favorites. No, really. (laughs) John was no more favorite than the others, but there was obviously some special affection and special affirmation of love. John, it says, um, reclined his head against Jesus' chest at the meal table. It's it's a real intimate friendship here. There's so many examples in the Gospels of Jesus and his friends. Even when he appointed them, he'd been praying all night, Mark 3, he appointed the 12, but it says he appointed them to be with him. Even before they went out on their mission, and the mission's really important, but they were invited to be with Jesus, to to do the mission on the basis of friendship with him. There's men and women that are friends with Jesus in the Gospels. There are, there are in, the, in the 72 that get sent out, there are loads of ladies. There are some incredible ladies that fund Jesus' ministry, that care for him. That when the men run away, they stay with him. Who do you find at the cross? It's some of the women that love Jesus. Who are the first to the tomb? It's some of the ladies. John 15, 12 to 15, Jesus says, My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. If, if you wonder where the bar was set in how we love one another, there it is. I watched some high jumping last week at the indoor athletics. Friends, this is a bar you can't jump, okay? Love one another as I have loved you. you can't, you're going to keep flopping into that bar. Even when it wobbles a bit, it's coming down. You can't jump it unless you come to the faithful covenant love that is ours in Jesus Christ. And out of that love, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. Oh, listen to this. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. Friends. Just put your hand on yourself. Just say quietly, I'm a friend of God. If you're in Christ, that's where you are. Nick Cameron. Isn't that amazing? I've got a little schoolboy giggle going, I'm a friend of God. I can look in the mirror and think, well, me, him, this guy. Well, I'm a friend. It's true because the Bible tells me that the way Jesus speaks with love and affection it's the Father's love me, so I've loved you. This is this faithful love again. We find it first. I can't, I can't work it out of myself. I find it in friendship with Jesus. And then I carry it to others. It's the self-giving love of Christ. The self-giving love that means he laid down his life for his friends. Jonathan and David draw us into this faithful love of Jesus for his friends. Friendship's hard. 
I read a YouGov poll that was done after COVID uh, last year, and they say that 51% of Brits struggle to make friends. That doesn't surprise us. Over half of us struggle to make friends. Apparently, over 25% would say, I haven't got a best friend. Um, it's tough, isn't it? Um, apparently now, maybe COVID has accelerated it, but um, uh, over 30% of us, um, most of our friends are online. Uh, that's the state of things. There's something very rich and beautiful in the gospel that, that, that we can model together as a kingdom family that shines like a light to this broken, distorted world around us that is hungry for authentic friendship. Let me hear you say an amen, please. This 150,000 people that live within 10 minutes drive of this building uh, who don't have friendship with Jesus yet and struggle in making friendships, how wonderful it would be if, if, if ordinary kingdom families like us could shine brightly with something that is so gospel authentic. Let me just read you a quick, uh, and then we'll do some application, a quick passage from, uh, this is Ed Shaw's uh, great little book on friendship. It's, it's actually a book on, um, on the church and same-sex attraction, but he, uh, Ed Shaw leads a church in Bristol. He's a single guy, and he, he, just, he teaches so well on friendship. It's a li- like a little snapshot of his life. Um, I arrive at church meetings and hug my honorary Aunt Ruth, who's just turned 70. She's single too, and we talked about how we both miss physical affection. And so now, in this way, we provide some for each other. On Tuesday evenings, I pop to a family who live just around the corner. I overexcite Charlie and Toby just before bedtime. They're two of my 12 grand godchildren. And then I have supper with their patient parents, Jim and Claire. I love sitting down and talking life and ministry with them. Jim's one of my fellow pastors. Midweek, I try and catch up with a group of church friends in a local cafe and uh, catch up on the week. We're a mix of singles and marrieds. It works best when there's a cross-section of people there so that there are more life experiences and more pizza to share. On a Thursday night, Jack often pops in on his way back from work. We put the world to rights from a single man's perspective. I've known Jack since he was a young Christian and student, and I've had the pleasure of helping and watching him, watching him grow into a mature Christian who pours himself into serving Jesus at work and church and further afield. On Sundays, in the time between our church meeting and our small group, I go for tea with a couple and their two daughters. I've known Simon and Lucy for over 10 years, and I was the best man at their wedding. We depend on one another for advice. We know about each other's families, finances, faith. I'm godfather to Katie. I've read Dogger to her. I don't know what Dogger is. Anyone? Oh, Dogger's a great story. There we are. I'll know about it again soon. Um, I'm in the gap at the moment between reading Biff and Chip and now catching up with grandchildren. I've been chosen as a potential legal guardian to both her and her sister Hannah. Another couple invite me on holidays and open up their home all the time. David and Josna have cooked about 400 meals for me at the last count. I've cried through the end of Mary Poppins with their daughter. Paul and Joe are often there and have me over for meals too. The three of us all share their son Jacob as a godchild. I hadn't got around to making any plans for my last birthday, so the couple I lead a small group with, Paul and Helen, organized a party. And at just two days' notice, 50 church family members came with us. John and Avril are my parents' age, but have become some of my closest friends. Although John's skill and speed at Scrabble has tested that friendship at times, we enjoy the same TV series, West Wing and MASH, and some of the same music, James Taylor. I could go on and talk about Tim and Ali, Jay and Rosie, Phil. I have people I can ring up and who ring me up at 10 p.m. So there's someone to talk to when I get in after a long day. They know I often find this time hard and have offered to help. 
Last time I was sick, I needed a switchboard operator to help me cope with all the offers of help. My freezer is still stocked up with the soups and casseroles that people brought round. God has very kindly put me in a family of people of all ages, backgrounds and circumstances, and we are slowly learning to be family to one another. Isn't that a beautiful picture of our family life? We're made for deep friendship with Jesus and deep friendship with one another. True friendship is not an add-on to our mission. It's right at the heart of how we move forward. Let me just ask a couple of questions on friendship and we'll worship and pray. Number one, because it comes out of our, um, this covenant love of, of, of God, um, it has to start with asking, how is my friendship with Jesus Christ? Have you asked yourself that question recently? How can I walk and talk and listen and grow in my friendship in him in a deeper way? By the way, do you like the friendship pictures that have been up on the boy it's one of my favorite toy stories what a great movie what a great picture of friendship through all the rough and the smooth with buzz and woody how am i rooting myself in the in the deep covenant love with jesus so that my whole identity is shaped by him why don't you come back to some of these verses this week in your own time read them meditate on them thank god for them pray them through Get to a small group this week or meet with some friends like Ed was saying in his book there. Just pray through some of these. Why don't you pray through those Romans 8 adoption, um, covenant love of God verses and just invite the secure love of the Father to flood your hearts. Wow. How about my friendships with others in the light of friendship with Jesus? Am I life-giving in terms of how I build friendships with others or am I harmful? These are tough questions to ask. Are there some friendships I need to break off? And put to one side. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Wow. Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous choose their friends carefully. Any righteous here today? Yeah, in Christ I'm righteous. Okay. Choose your friends carefully. The way of the wicked leads them astray. I wonder as we look at David and Jonathan and this, this heart tying, connecting, what we sometimes call a soul tie. Have I tied myself or knit myself in intimacy to another in a sinful way? Are there some here today? Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it has been sexual. There's a, there's a right way. We tie ourselves to God. He's Lord of our lives. Uh, and then rightly out of that love, we connect to one another in marriage and friendship. The only place for sexual intimacy where the Bible says it's God's best is within a committed marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. Any other kind of sex outside of that, God says, is sinful. We need to repent of that connection, that tie, whether it's in your head, whether it's physically, whether it's online, in some way. Any kind of adultery, any kind of emotional dependency. We are tied in friendship with Jesus. Paul says, don't you know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? We were saying that earlier in, in worship. Uh, you are not your own. You're bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. That's what happens when we give ourselves to Jesus as Lord. Hey, if the Holy Spirit is just nudging you with some areas this morning, this is kingdom stuff. And Jesus says when we proclaim the kingdom, the response is, first of all, is repent. So maybe some of us need to repent this morning and come into this faithful love. Maybe some of us need to forgive one another, put things right. If there are names and situations on your mind and heart now, then deal with them in a moment, please. Or even right now, just under your breath. And then very briefly, let me just ask the question, and you can go away and think about this. How can I grow in healthy, healthy friendships like Jesus and his disciples, like Jonathan and David? What might it look like in our lives together? I just had this statement in my head. We will never grow in real friendship with true spiritual mothers and fathers and sons and daughters unless we, and here are some things we can do. Number one, we've got to make time for one another. 
uh, our kind of British, oh yeah, see you next Sunday, quick chat over coffee after church. No, no, we're talking about that. And this, this was beautiful. It's about life together. Um, lingering longer, food. Um, Kaz and I are discovering, again, since COVID, we, we can't find extra, there's not an extra day in our calendar. There's not extra evenings uh, for people. Uh, we can't make more space. But we can invite people that we want to grow with into our lives by just asking them to do the kinds of things that we've got to do anyway. We have to eat Sunday lunch. So why not have some, we have to, don't you? You can have a Sunday roast. So why not have some people around your table that you want to do life with? Um, we, we want to go for a walk. Hey, why not invite some people and their kids to come and have a walk with us? I've got to do some DIY at home. Why not ask Stu and his drill <laughs> to come over <laughs> and help and be a friend? Um, more than that, I think there's some kingdom adventures in this too. I love the spirit of Jonathan and David. I, I'm, I'm loving getting to know Aaron. I don't know if Aaron's, I don't want to embarrass you, Aaron. Um, Aaron's becoming a friend of mine. But that started when uh, just a week or two after getting baptized as a new follower of Jesus, Aaron courageously stuck up his hand where others hadn't and said, I'll come to my street with you and I'll, I'll help you encourage the church there. Then he stuck up his hand with Debbie and said, oh, let me help run the Alpha course. And, uh, there's, and, and so as we work and pray and advance the kingdom and serve the church together, we, we find, oh, wow, friendships. I hope friendships grow. An unlikely friendship, as we've often commented with a Crystal Palace fan and a Brighton fan playing each other this Wednesday. Um, but God's good and so is his faithful love. No spears, my friend. Um, wow. What about you? What about me? What can we model who can I encourage? Who can I be a spiritual mum and dad to? Who can we shape and grow with in our homes, in our, around our tables, with your small group when we meet here? Secondly, and just very briefly, Noah Bang, can you come back and you're going to have to put your, your uh, niece, thank you, put your niece down. <laughs> I got confused there. Share some intimacies. If it's real friendship, I've got to trust my friends with the stuff that I'm worried about, anxious about. You can ask them questions as well about their own stuff. Don't just be full of your own self-pity. So hard, isn't it? Many of us have entrusted people with things and then have felt let down. Um, we felt judged, uh, gossiped about. This, remember, this is a no-spear zone. You need to feel safe. You need to know, hey, I won't scare my friend off when I share what's really going on. Of course, there are private areas of our lives. Of course, there are wise boundaries. But this kingdom family is and will grow even more to be a genuine community, a genuine family. As with Jonathan and David or Jesus and his friends, you don't, you don't open that stuff up with everyone. But there must be a small number here, one or two that you can share that with. And finally, persevere. It takes time to grow friendships. David and Jonathan went through the fire together. Jesus was three years every day with his brothers and sisters. Even after they left him and betrayed him, he was still able to restore friendship with them. He prayed to his father. He said, I haven't lost any that you gave to me, that you entrusted to me. Can we stand together? I've been a bit longer than I meant to this morning, but thank you for being patient with me. May this, this be our attitude, this faithful love that starts with Jesus, that doesn't give up. Love never fails, Paul writes to the Corinthian church. Come on, family. Are there some things the Holy Spirit's put on your heart this morning? Just begin to pray quietly about your own life. If, maybe if you are a husband and wife together, you want to pray, but perhaps just go grab a friend that you trust and pray with them while we worship. Lord, we want the adventures. We want the kingdom advance, but we, we, we're desperate to move forward as authentic friends together. We love this gospel. Open our hearts, Lord, to one another. We pray this real covenant, faithful love. May we love one another safely and securely. 
because we are loved that way by you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for inviting us into your Father's house. What a friend we have in you. Thank you that you bring us in. Thank you that our whole identity is changed now. Thank you for your deep love for us. Thank you that because of that, Lord, we can repent this morning and know that we're not crushed. Thank you that you can come to each one who's come under rejection and fear and pain of broken friendships or distorted family ties. Holy Spirit, will you just come near now? Lord, if there are some here that need to go seek forgiveness and repentance, will you come near to them right now? Oh, thank you, Lord. Come on, just lift your prayers to the Lord. Lift your worship to Him. Move around and pray for one another. If you want to come and pray with someone specifically and not sure who to ask, come and find me or one of the other leaders. But let's worship the Lord as we do this together.